I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast live. I say live, not live, that's not the right word, is it? Um, certainly from Russia, either way. Not on location. On location, it is correct. Um, and, and that, they're a little spoiler for uh, the guests sat to my immediate right, Chief Football Writer of the Independent, Miguel Delaney. Hello, Miguel. Hello. How are you enjoying Russia so far? Uh, good, good. It's been intense so far due to uh, news developments as much as anything else. And we expected they to be busy with 2026, but then it became a whole lot busier because of uh, what many are calling... The World Cup's real for kickoff, the real shot of the one that really sparked it, uh, the Spanish decision. The, the mutiny of Krasnodar, as it was referred to in La Vanguardia earlier on. And uh, Miguel, uh, apart from spoilers, uh, <laughs> is uh, not alone, because to my left is our Northern Football correspondent, Mark Critchley. Mark, hello. Hello, how's it going? Um, it, it's going quite fine. Um, it's, been a, it's been a busy old day, as, as Miguel, I would say, alluded to, um, hammered it down everyone's throats. Uh, we will talk... I guess, about the two big stories of the day, which is Julen Lopetegui being sacked by Spain yeah. uh, on the eve of the World Cup. Um, we should also talk about the United 2026 bid, which was victorious at the FIFA Congress. And uh, probably, I guess, a load of other things that will probably come up in the meantime. So, where do we start? So, notionally... The 2026 story is bigger, Miguel, but I feel you're not going to agree with that one. Uh, I mean, because that's, that's something for, for the future. I mean, I'd also question why there was the need to have it on the eve of the World Cup itself. I mean, there's well, no reason for that. It felt like a burying bad news sort of decision. But, I mean, the, the bad news only kind of came, or like, well, FIFA thinking the bad news might be that it goes to Morocco. That was only something that really came and really became a reality in the past three months. So but it's also incredible that. They they are so aware that most of the decisions that come out of the the organisation themselves are bad news <laughs> that they would have to schedule it like that in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Um, but out, I mean, away from the rights and wrongs, how do you feel about the the successful bid and the fact that the twenty twenty six World Cup will be held in the USA, Mexico, and Canada? So the first time ever, it's a three nation um, host joint hosting. First time ever of forty eight teams. We we expect. Um, third time Mexico has hosted um, mm. World Cup games second time for the US and first time for Canada who I don't think have ever qualified for one so how do you feel about it's all, of, one. all of that it's, it's logistically makes sense because of the infrastructure and this is the problem with going to 48 teams I mean this is really the issue with 32 teams that there's only countries of certain sizes that can realistically host it uh, it's, it's not going to be the World Cup as we know it's going to be a bloated mess uh, <laughs> so there's all of that uh, so that's I mean I was in Morocco in March and what I think was a great country and it would have been nice for such a country to get for a new country like for a, a new country to host the World Cup realistically I don't think it was ready for it but then the problem with that is I suppose the size the World Cup has become it, it was in many ways the complete contrast of of two things that you get with FIFA which is uh, the one option was 
the developmental option, mm. whereas uh, FIFA want to be seen uh, as, you know, in, in the same way that Sepp Blatter had his eyes on the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, Infantino uh, asked about how he felt it afterwards, about, and he announced, he took that exact moment to announce Jenny Infantino that he would be seeking re-election as, as FIFA president. And when asked why, he said, because he sees in the eyes of the children of uh, Rwanda and Myanmar and whatever. You, you know, it's basically the opposite to Dave Cameron after Brexit. He, so he, he realised he had no choice to, to, to go after that. Whereas for, for Infantino, he's seizing the opportunity. We've had a victory. Let's get on it again. Let's, we're, we're back in, baby. Uh, you know, the opposite of Nigel Farage, who, who took about three hours after the Brexit result to uh, start rowing back on, on those promises. Um, but the thing with... with the Morocco bid was it was purely developmental. It was a second World Cup for Africa. It was a place with none of the stadiums there. You know, it was a a completely how would you say it? Not quite pie in the sky, but the whole thing was to be confirmed almost. Whereas the American bid is, as you said, like all the stadiums are there and more. You know, if Cincinnati suddenly had a disaster, they could host it in Cleveland or Chicago, a couple of hundred miles away, without any problems whatsoever. So um, it will be. A very different World Cup to what we would have got in Morocco. Um, Chris, do you have any major thoughts on this? It feels like a pretty cut and dried sort of subject, really. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought um, I just wonder why. I suppose did we really want a World Cup in Morocco? That's the question at the end of it, isn't it? I, th- I think the logistical problems that FIFA highlighted in their report stood out. Um, Morocco, basically, there was a point system of about five hundred points. Morocco got two two point seven, yeah. so two hundred and seventy points out of five hundred. The two point seven rating out of five. If they got lower than the two, they would have been kicked out of the process automatically. And the US bid got four point oh. Four point two, I think. Oh, four point right. two. Yeah, so well, it doesn't really matter, does it, when the when the difference is that stark? So, uh, but I think what made the real difference, and there's only one number that really matters, isn't it? And it was the one that the US bid flashed up on screen uh, halfway through their fifteen minute minute presentation at the end of the day 14 um, billion which is 14 billion which is the total revenue they expect uh 11 billion of which will be profit straight into the hands of fifa so when you up against those the football family sorry yeah, yeah. Uh, my well, mistake, uh, uh, fundamentally you know that's how you get re-elected in fifa isn't it yeah you, you get more uh, they've got lots of different terms for it solidarity payments uh, development funds all of this fundamentally if you're giving money to the people who are voting you back in, yeah, that is how it works. Um, so that like was clientelism. Um, yeah, a, a long word from Miguel. So that is pretty much as much as there is to say. I would say about. Are, are, are we? I mean, just, I was about to ask. Are, are, are we kind of looking forward to the World Cup in in you in in the Americas? But like you know, that's eight years away. We're actually at a World Cup, and that's that, for me. That's for me why the Spanish story is so much bigger because this direct. I mean. This is so sensational, the Spanish story. It hobbles or really or disrupts one of the one of the favourites, one of the two most recent winners. It has a it has a huge impact on the on the tournament to come. Do you think it's bigger than Saipan? Because I know you wrote a dissertation, if that's right, about <laughs> Saipan, and it's obviously such a big part of the island's football culture and history. Um, is this their Saipan moment in Spain? Yeah, I mean, Saipan was massive for Ireland because of the fact that it was key was central to the host, but to the world at large. The Saipan story is probably really just about Manchester United's brilliant player yeah. leaving the World Cup. Whereas this feel like I mean this that was one of the world's great players at the time. This is now maybe the world's greatest team, the team that, that could go on and or maybe should have gone on or should be going on to win the whole tournament. So in that sense it's big although it's in the parallels are amazing. I mean, with Saipan, you know, this the country was split, 
poll, you know, fifty-fifty over who was right. It came down to principle against pragmatism. Um, there were civil war, civil war allusions in the media and on the radio, which is apparently what's been happening in Spain today. So I mean, it really couldn't be more Saipan if it tried. So let's go back to the start of this. Uh, yesterday afternoon, that'd be Tuesday afternoon. Um, spoiler alert: we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Uh, so Tuesday afternoon, out of the blue, just as we were landing in Moscow, uh, the, the announcement comes from Real Madrid that. Hulen Lopetegui will be their new coach. It was somewhat of a surprise because he signed a new contract until 2020. Uh, when was that? Three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, which was one of the first achievements of the new Spanish FA president, Luis Rubiales. More on him later. As it emerged today, yesterday, Florentino Perez rang Mr. Rubiales, Senor Rubiales, if you will, five minutes before that announcement to inform him that he would be taking Julian Lopetegui, which Rubiales was, was helpless to do anything about because uh, there's a €2 million Euro release clause in that contract, which is pretty cheap. Uh, the, the coach himself had verbally agreed to take that job, and there's very little that Rubiales could do about it. Rubiales, uh, according to one report, did ask for a bit more time and was told no. Uh, According to a report in The Guardian by Sid Lowe, he then rang Lopetegui, who did not answer his phone. And then within minutes, the whole world knew um, that that was happening. So at that point, Rubiales, like us, was in Moscow uh, for the FIFA Congress at the Expo Centre, uh, which is where the, the World Cup vote went down today. Rubiales immediately left the UEFA hotel, got the first flight to Krasnodar down in the south, where Spain's base is. Hand me that. I, I'd imagine we'd have more more trouble if we look. We, I mean, I was I was trying to book a new flight to Sochi last week or to Nizhny, and it was difficult. I, so. I, I did I did wonder if it was a private jet, um, <laughs> and, and if the Spanish FA can afford a private jet. But uh, he went down to Krasnodar. Well, they're not getting the release clause now, are they? <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, amazing. <laughs> one of the one of the Catalan papers published the stories. You know, again, like the Spanish FA doing Real Madrid a favor making sure they don't have to pay 2 million euros. It's like, well, I don't think the Spanish FA were in the mood to do them favours. I, I think it was more, as you say, a, a principle of a pragmatism thing. I think, if anything, the Spanish FA are not doing Real Madrid many favours right now. More, more on which later. Uh, but, yeah, so he gets to Krasnodar. By all accounts, pretty much all-night discussions with a lot of people, yeah. a lot of um, what corporate people would, say, would call stakeholders, um, in the decision-making process, and then they announce there's a press conference today, and it gets delayed and delayed because talks are ongoing, and they keep going, and they keep going. And then there's reports that Lopetegui will stay because the players have intervened. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the news drops, and Rubiales says he's gone. Well, he's had to it go. Was, it was actually it was even before he said it. It was the fact that he came out to his press conference alone. And as I haven't watched the press conference since. He didn't seem fu- he furious at the press. He seemed kind of confident and assured. He calmed. Uh, yeah, lot. As, and uh, you know, kind of, it was the demeanor of someone who, lo- who felt like having, having, I suppose, made the decision angry initially and then dwelt on it. He was still happy with it. And I have to say, I mean, earlier on today, I was kind of thinking, oh, the extremity of the situation because of the World Cup. Just everyone's a bit like Roy, Roy Keane now. Uh, like it, it, I, I almost think like. It's such a, it's such a heightened situation, so so unique a World Cup that just just you swallow your pride and, and play. Let's get on with, it, let's do it. But I think the manner of the way Madrid and Lopetegui went about it, and the manner in which uh, Rubiales found out, 
and, he, and then to add to that, the fact that he was so crucial in lobbying for a new contract for the pedigree, the fact that it was, it was three weeks ago, I actually think he was left with a little option. So you think he was in the right. I don't really... For me, I think it's just, it's just rash. I think it's a typical kind of Latin rush of blood to the head. And, and most of the well-sourced reports that we've read so far suggest that Rubiales basically took the decision on the spot that mm. he was going to sack him nearly got talked out of it and then fundamentally went ahead and, and just did it anyway. He's done that to the detriment of Spain's chances of winning the World Cup, yeah. which is, at the end of the day, the, the, the full objective of the Spanish FA's national teams. So he has, you know, completely compromised the, the ultimate aim for all of that organisation. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say, I'd say Lopetti and Madrid have compromised. It ultimately comes back to them. I, I would agree. They, they, they put Rubiales in an impossible position. I, I would agree. It, Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid are, are mainly to blame, and from what I can gather, principally Florentino Perez, because Lopetegui was was approached about this job for the first time last week and accepted it on on Monday, Tuesday, verbally. He hasn't signed a contract by all accounts, um, but he verbally agrees mm. this. What is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to announce it two days before the World Cup? Is he supposed to sit on it during the World Cup and hope it doesn't come well, out? Which is just inform his employees. Well, exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. No. 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 I appreciate. Uh, and, and this is where Rubiales is. If you, you kind of watch the press conference, all the talk about valors, ethics, values, uh, all the all the talk about this being a, a thing of principle, is because Lopetegui hadn't advised the Spanish FA, but. Something's gone on here where Real Madrid have, you know, tried to rush this announcement out and there's no obvious reason for it. So you don't think Lopetegui had any, any inkling that Real Madrid may announce this before the World Cup? Yeah, no, well, as far from what I've heard, player like a player outside the Real Madrid crew. So the Real Madrid crew in the Spain squad knew, in fact, they had a part in, in the whole process of Lopetegui being hired. Someone else in the squad... Uh, was aware and I think basically Real Madrid panicked and I think that but either way I, I agree with you okay where Lopetegui is wrong is I think he should have told um, Spain he should have you know assuming he deliberately didn't take that phone call from Rubiales which we don't know then he should have talked to Rubiales but the fact of the matter is there's no way that once he accepts that job he can sit on that for the entire World Cup it has to come out because if Real Madrid don't announce a coach for the duration of the World Cup, like, you know, the Spanish capital is going to be burnt to the ground. Like, there's no way that that's a feasible scenario. So, if you choose Lopetegui to be your coach, which they, they've done, but, but and if he agrees to be the coach, which he's done, then it has to be announced. And I think, so the only thing really is that, but, but that, that he hadn't told his employers in time. But that's, that's why, it, because, of, again, because Madrid can't just be given a pass on this. They, I mean, really, they've, they've thought they can go about this in the usual way they do. And it was interesting that the two media publications most... Well, closest, like, to cl- closest to Madrid. Closest to Madrid. They were very, very sympathetic to the whole situation and trying to, trying to couch everything in a way that like, Madrid couldn't be blamed for this. But I mean, but this is a case of Madrid thinking they can, go, uh, they can go with their business in the way they want all the time. And, and we know the way they sign players, the way they try to destabilise things. So they thought they'd get away with it again. Whereas the uniqueness of this situation and the fact it was a World Cup and they were going for the Spanish national team's World Cup manager required, I think, a bit more delicacy and decorum from it. They should have gone through, I think, through proper channels rather than behind everyone's back. 
So I think it was it was up to them to make an approach to Spain first, and on the other side, it was up to Lopetegui to to inform his employees, like, look, I've I've had an approach, uh, and 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 you know we we can say. They, they they kind of sat in that for the for the World Cup, but they they didn't they didn't have to had they gone about things properly, but they didn't. It's typical Madrid. And uh, I guess some of the other things that come out of it, like yeah, as you say, the the coverage of it uh, has varied depending on on mm. where that particular newspaper is based within Spain. Um, this shows, I guess, again, the lure of the club game over the international game. The fact that Lopetegui was perhaps willing to compromise the biggest club competition oh no sorry the biggest football competition on earth for the biggest club on earth which is what he's done essentially and uh, you know I also theorised earlier what the reaction would be like if a Spain manager had walked out or not walked out even just mm-hmm. had, had accepted the Barcelona basically if this exact situation had happened but with Barcelona instead of Real Madrid how the, how the reaction would have been in marker or ass and <laughs> And it fit, I think it would have been apocalyptic. The civil war rhetoric probably would have gone up a few notches. No, it, it would have been it would have been absolutely huge. It would have been, uh, especially with uh, like the actual independence stuff that we've had in, in yeah. the last year or so. It would have been framed as as Catalonia, Barcelona trying to undermine Spain's chances of winning the World mm. Cup. Now, I don't believe Real Madrid have deliberately tried to do that at any stage. I th- but I think Real Madrid have acted incredibly shoddily, basically, uh, in this entire thing, and. What's the result? The result is they've got a coach who's probably going to be hurt for some time by this. Uh, and I mean, reputationally, obviously, but kind of everything he's worked towards has just been dashed. It's, it's been taken away from him. It's soured everything. I mean, first of all, he's had, I mean, there's a seed alluded in his piece as well. It was only a few weeks ago when someone asked for Lucas Vasquez a, a Real Madrid question at a Spanish press conference, and Lopetegui made such a point of going, hey, this is the World Cup, as it like the implication means this is the biggest thing in the game, and now he's have he's essentially scuppered that for himself. Uh, so it's soured a dream for him. He might, he'll never get this opportunity again. The Spanish national team can never go back to him, and he was unlikely he'd be unlikely, unless he does wonders with Madrid, which I think is unlikely. He um, he's not going to get another international. But then it's also soured the Madrid job itself because he doesn't go in on the back of a World Cup campaign or this un- being the unbeaten Spanish manager. He he goes in again in disgrace, and you know. And without that extra level of achievement, he's just gotten to, he's just qualified well. well Spain always qualified. Who's he going to be remembered like like Van Dugli, Luxembourgo, and like burnt shoes? Yeah. I mean, he could really just like burn out and that, and then you know the if the Madrid job's a catastrophe, catastrophe. Sorry, then where does he go from here? I mean, it's it's high stakes, but it's also high stakes. I think from uh, Rubiales himself. I mean, we say that he's met, perhaps made a decision based on emotion or principle, and he's maybe not thought about it too long. But he's staking a lot here by. By basically saying, right, I decided, no, you don't treat the Spanish Football Federation like that. And if and if this World Cup goes tits up for them and they're out in the group stage, then surely, I mean, he, I don't, I, I don't know as much about Spanish football as you two, but his his position must be kind of untenable. Surely after that, to come in and to have to deal with this is obviously very difficult. I mean, he's he's always going to be this guy, isn't he? I mean, he's he's the central figure of one of like the great World Cup. Yeah. Controversies in in many ways. I I think he'll he'll always have to scapegoat. Though. I I think even if they if they fail, they can put it down to uh, Madrid and Lopetegui. Yeah, and, and so Fernando Hierro. We haven't even mentioned this. Fernando Hierro, hmm. currently technical director of of the Spanish FA, will will slide into Lopetegui's seat for now for the tournament at least. Um, 
not a great record as a coach. But then again, neither is Lopetegui. And, and I, we shouldn't dwell on how he's going to do at Real Madrid because we can do that in August. But uh, he failed at, at Porto. Uh, he's only really got had success at Spanish under-21s. And you could argue that that was mainly down to a generation of incredibly talented players. Mm-hmm. So... There are question marks over Lopetegui, who um, it sounds like might even be presented as soon as tomorrow, or if you're listening to this today, uh, at the Bernabeu. So that would be quite something. Do we think um, this affects Spain's chances of winning the World Cup? Which is, at the end of the day, the biggest question you can ask. I, I think it certainly does. I mean, we've seen teams... Go through, like, uh, I don't know what else you'd call it, kind of an event or a trauma before a World Cup like this before. And we've seen also, uh, you know, before the news today about him actually being sacked, we've seen managers go into World Cups with jobs arranged for the tournament after, and they still succeed. It happened with Conte, uh, well, to a, to an extent at, at the US 2016. Van Gaal did well with the Netherlands in 2014. Uh, Bobby Robson and Italian 90. But um, I just think I just think the turmoil that it's thrown them into here, it, it certainly must have an effect. And we've we've talked about Lopetegui's credentials as a coach and whether they're all that. But I mean, what are Hierros? I think he's had one. Is it one year in the second division? Where he didn't, quite make, yeah. didn't quite make the playoffs. So uh, it just it just throws. Before like we've been doing our previews all week and. Uh, it took me. It took me a good few days to try and decide between Brazil or Spain for a winner. But like, I don't think anybody can be seriously considering uh, a real challenge from Spain now. Although they, with the talent they've got at their disposal, they could certainly still put one together. And um, Migs, despite the circling of the wagons, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Ramos saying, I mean, Gerard Piquet's bizarre reference to some sort of like nineteen eighty nine college basketball championship <laughs> as if that's the, you know that's a real kind of strong precedent for them to follow uh, how are you feeling about Spain's chances having been let's remember on Monday yeah so bullish about their chances yeah I'm um, a little I'm much less so uh, yeah. <laughs> I think they can still have a good world, uh, world cup I still think they can win it I just wouldn't have them as favourites now I mean there's, there's a few angles to this I suppose who are your new favourites I suppose it has to be Brazil doesn't it okay, boring as that is uh, although um, no Brazil, um, but there's there's a, there's a few angles to it. I suppose. I mean, the one thing I I have taught all along. I think first of all, this Spanish squad is so good. I think it's the nature of a lot of international teams now that they really and because of the lack of time managers get with them as well, they don't really need full on management in the way we would, we would usually associate it. What they need is kind of light touches and facilitating these squads, which is why I don't think the role of someone like Lopetegui is essential. And I think maybe if you look at his Porto career as well, he had a failure in his one in his one big club job. I think there was an element of he found himself in front of a, like a very mature uh, group of players who were among probably the um, had the best kind of game knowledge and tactical knowledge in in the world maybe. So there's an element of self management to this Spanish team. But, like with Zidane at Real Madrid. Yeah, like with Zidane at Real Madrid. Which is why Lopetegui might be a good fit for Real Madrid. Well, yeah, exa- well exactly. That's it. And that, yeah, which is why maybe some of the, Sp- some of the Spanish players, um, uh, as we've heard, might have lobbied for him. But we, in, in terms of this kind of self-management, we've seen it. I mean, you could argue with Chelsea 2008 under Grant, Chelsea 2012 under... Um, Rafa. Under, under Di Matteo. Under Di Matteo, Di Matteo sorry. Um, and uh, we, like, we've seen it at World Cups before as well. I mean, you, 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 it's just... So, so I do think they can do that. But maybe... 
look, to be fair to Lepedegui, the one thing you would say about him is he had shown a little bit of tactical nous and a bit of variance that could be crucial in these games against other ultra-talented squads like Brazil, like Germany. That may, and you can't really see Yero making those, those same decisions. And the, and the other side of it, I suppose, is the mental state of the team. I mean, to, to be going through all this two days before your big... And a match has now become the biggest of the group stage because of what we'll say about the entire tournament. To be going through this emotional turmoil and this kind of tense 24 hours, it's, it's hardly great preparation. They've got to come out of that. Um, I mean, again, to allude to Saipan, even if it's on a lower scale, it did that, that had the effect of kind of rallying the Irish players. So we might see similar from Spain, but that's, it, that's why this Portugal game is even more interesting as much as kind of, you know, in, in, engaging or enthralling because it's going to say, say so much about all this. And if people want to read more about Saipan that you've referenced so many times, <laughs> uh, where would they read about that? Dissertation. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, in a book actually called Stuttgart Saipan. Uh, yes, Stuttgart Saipan, a, a brilliant book, the best book I've never read on Irish mm-hmm. football. Um, so I guess the World Cup starts tomorrow. Yeah, um, today. Uh, today, depending on, on when you're listening. Again, breaking that fourth wall. Uh, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Critch, uh, you and I are going to be at that one. Uh, and you were saying earlier on you're really interested in this Saudi Arabian midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, more what the Saudi Arabian midfield might do to my bank account because <laughs> Saudi Arabia are strangely long odds. I mean, we say strangely, we don't know what kind of machinations might be at work where in this World Cup, but you know, we'll leave that there for what, our what, lawyers. What do you mean by that? Sorry, uh, they can clarify that. Okay, later. fine. Um, but but yeah, nine to one to beat Russia, the other worst team in the tournament. I mean. I don't think any of us really know what we're going to expect, what to expect tomorrow. Um, apart from maybe just a really bad game, we hope not. To 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 bring the discussion on actually away from Spain and all that. That's that's one thing about this sentiment. I mean, yeah, you know, there's been so much talk lately about what's what the World Cup has lost is that the football world itself is we know too much about it now. So there's no kind of surprise anymore. Yeah, that that's that's one of the great things about the first few games of the tournament because. These kind of questions and storylines have been building up and been asked for months. We're now finally about to get some answers. And Miguel, they're shattering the idea I'd had for my piece tomorrow from the game. Um, but I think it is interesting. We've got the hosts who have lost their, probably their best player, Cochrane, through injury months ago. Um, we don't know what to expect from them because they just haven't been very good for a long time. Could they do a South Korea 2002? You know, complete with refereeing decisions. Could they flame out and then Russia just loses interest in the competition which is obviously bad for the tournament and everyone here um, Saudi Arabia what, what on earth to expect from them they've got by far the shortest squad in the entire tournament um, did you know that 69% of uh, adult men in Saudi Arabia are classified as either overweight or, overweight or obese I learned that today World Health Organization figures um, so it's a, it is a peculiar game, and it is one of these where we don't know what to expect. And it's very rare, I guess, when you watch as much football as we have to, that there is a game where you just genuinely don't have a clue what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there aren't many scorelines that would surprise you with this one. Um, but fundamentally, uh, yeah, this is your first World Cup game. How does it feel? Oh, what, on a personal level, to be yeah. watching Russia versus Saudi Arabia in my first ever World Cup game, yeah. uh, it's going to be emotional. There may be a tear or two. I hope, um, you know, I hope I just keep it together for the big stage. But um, yeah, like like you say, it's it's such a peculiar game, and and I think an, an element of that is because 
we're talking about two nations who are quite insular and 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 we can you know somebody else more qualified can perhaps talk about the the political context of this game i suppose they're both on different sides of the war in syria for example but like on a fundamental level we're talking about two football teams i think saudi arabia alongside england are the only uh, nation in the tournament whose players all come from the nation which they represent saudi arabia they all play in they all play in yeah. yes and then with Russia um, Jack Pitt Brooks wrote an excellent piece on our website today about how their rules in their own domestic leagues enforcing through uh, Russian players and having certain rules that mean only they play for the development of the of football in the country has actually set them back a, lot, a long way and has um, you know resulted in a lot of frustration for people who've gone over there like Andre Vales Boas for example um, so we're, we're kind of we're kind of looking at two countries tomorrow who like I say, are quite insular, you know, we don't know too much about them and we're kind of feeling around in the dark, so, yeah. It's going to be an interesting just just clash. I'm also looking forward to the opening ceremony, uh, which, as always, will be, we'll have, like, some sort of outdated pop star, some weird cultural dancing. It's Will Smith, isn't it? Pro- will Smith and Dua Lipa is the... Robbie Williams, I think. Robbie Williams? Yeah, Robbie Williams I think that was in Russia. Robbie Williams and, and Will Smith was definitely said to be doing it a few weeks ago. Right. Okay, so um, there you're outdated pop stars. Um, some sort of local dance, interpretive dance. I'll do a thing with loads of kids. Um, so you know, kind of loads of kids dancing around and, and making themselves all look happy and nice. Uh, Vladimir Putin is giving a speech. Is the only thing I actually know about it, um, which we'll be probably confused by because. Uh, don't speak much Russian as um, has been probably the major discovery of the last two days yes. uh, what's been your favourite thing about Russia the country so far in terms of you know the last 48 hours of your life uh, my favourite thing I, I, I quite enjoy this cherry juice that we're, we've, we've just sampled at the moment very um, very popular uh, fruit juice here I actually am black re- cherry a really big fan of eating in shopping centres as we've done for the past two months as well <laughs> and um, I'm recording this co- podcast from my bed which is <laughs> which is great as well so like everything so far, I don't know uh, I, I've come over here with I, I've tried to come over here with a very open mind I think um, uh, I think from what I've been told uh, whatever you think about the country whatever preconceptions you have the people are going to be very nice to you um, I think as soon as I get a few basic phrases down out <laughs> maybe then they'll be able to be nice to me because they'll know what I'm talking about um, so yeah I mean so far not too bad I just hope we all get out alive and with our uh, cyber security intact and Miguel um, you've made some cultural observations since you've been here what would you say uh, been your, your favourite things and least favourite things so far about uh, Moscow and Russia itself have I made cultural observations I mean we, our, our movement so far just to uh, again I shouldn't be behind the fourth wall of basically we got to the airport we got to the apartment we went to the essential equivalent of Westfield which is beside our apartment got supplies there actually went to get keys cut there and two things from that <laughs> uh, first of all if, if you you couldn't we didn't we couldn't just get keys cut there but if you want you could buy some weaponry there <laughs> some uh, some guns or, or, or knives an axe as well an axe oh yeah an axe secondly <laughs> having paid you couldn't what was about 25 quid yeah for 3,000 rubles for our keys none of the keys worked <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was good uh, of all the difficult things to do in a foreign country when you, when you don't speak the very complicated language that, that shares a, a, a completely different alphabet to yours um, we asked the, the host of our apartment which is a surprisingly spacious if uh, how would you say dated apartment 
Um, it has some strange elements. It has some strange elements, but otherwise it, it's pretty much fine. It's got a karaoke set. Um, we asked him if we could have more than one set of keys because there were three of us staying here. And he advised us to go and get some cut. So um, we actually probably had no intention of doing that until we walked past a, a locksmith yeah. sort of place and got the keys cut, paid the man the money, and um, none of the cut keys work. So a, a disappointing first step. Um, and and then, yeah, what else did we do? We just... then, we, then we went to the Luzhniki uh, this morning to get our accreditation and get work underway. Of course, I had that, that photo that everyone was going to take by the end of the tournament, which is uh, the statue of Lenin. Uh, right behind um, the Adidas fan yeah, store yeah the Adidas fan store Coca-Cola store and it's basically Lennon is looking out onto basically you know this extreme uh, representation of capitalism right in front of him which is you know, it's all the major FIFA sponsors Hyundai and, yeah. and all, all the lads uh, have got their own little represent like there's a, like weird little stalls and, and mm. uh, tents and stuff and uh, yeah just all around the statue of Lenin which uh Bizarre juxtaposition, but it's um, it is how the World Cup is, I guess, no. these days. Um, I guess at some point we should. Uh, well, fo- one thing I should say, although on. to be fair, once we're in the media center, very helpful, very helpful. Your yes. man, yeah. your man at the desk sorted me with a taxi for. Uh, actually, by the time you were listening, so I probably had the flight for my, my trip to Sochi tomorrow for Spain, Portugal. Well, I mean, depending on how much of an egotist you are, you can listen to this yourself on the on the uh, uh, plane tomorrow because uh, I'll be editing this late into the night. Hate sound my own voice. And. Do you know what that is? Well, Apparently, uh, I actually read something recently. The reason you, people don't like the sound of their own voice is because it, it sounds unfamiliar, and that's because when you speak, you are hearing uh, the voice that comes from out of your mouth, but you're also hearing it echoing in the uh, cavities inside your head. Mm-hmm. So it sounds completely different to what everyone else hears. That's why it sounds weird, and that's fact corner for the day. Um, before we go, we probably should ring up north yeah. to... Um, the Arctic town of Rapino, where the sun doesn't set till gone midnight uh, and comes back up again about one o'clock, uh, where Jack Pitbrook has been having, by all accounts, uh, a splendid time and wants to talk to us about England. So uh, we'll ring him up and then we'll be back in a moment. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jack, hello, hello. Uh, we've just been discussing R- Rapino and how delightful it sounds. Tell us what Rapino is really like from someone who's actually there. Hi, Ed. I hope you're having a nice time in Moscow. I'm in Rapino, where even though it's 11 o'clock in the evening, the sun is still up. I think that's probably the most interesting thing about Rapino, uh, what the locals call the white nights. At this time, of, at this time of the year, it just doesn't get dark, um, which actually makes it quite difficult to sleep for some of us. 
Um, but the England players insist that they have good enough curtains and blinds that are not to be a problem. Rapino itself is basically just a strip of road uh, along the side of the Gulf of Finland with a few hotels and restaurants in. I mean, we were told that um, this was where kind of rich St. Petersburg people come on holiday, but apparently they actually go to a kind of slightly nicer bit just further inland where the Croatian team are staying. Um, I mean, if you were to draw a scale with the kind of isolation of Rustenburg, England's 2010 camp on one end, and Baden-Baden, which was a kind of frenzy of shopping and drinking on the other, we're certainly much closer to Rustenburg. I mean, there isn't really very much to do here. And the, England are putting quite a lot of faith in the power of video games and Fortnite to keep their players entertained while they're here. OK, and England trained for the first time today up at their, their base up there in, in the woods, in the forest. How was their, uh, their first open training session that, that you could go to? And I believe some locals came along as well. So England arrived here in Rapino on Tuesday evening. And today they had their open training session. Um, at the training ground they built for themselves at Zelenogorsk, which is a 10-minute drive up the road from Rapino. It was a nice day, to be honest. They had um, lots of local children and fans here with uh, England shirts and England flags. It was a pretty gentle session, uh, nothing too competitive, uh, you know, starting with warm-up and then into small-sided possession games. Um, at the start of which England were presented with a kind of ceremonial decorated loaf of bread and a large ornamental teapot by the uh, by a local politician um, who wished them all the best. I think I mean it sounds really nice and it was quite nice, but you know this is ultimately like a FIFA mandated thing. Like FIFA demand that every country hold an open training session with locals. Uh, as soon as, as soon as they get there, and now that that's been got out of the way, uh, England's training sessions will will be a lot more private as they build up to the, to the Tunisia game on Monday night. And how are the players in in general? Are there any injuries, any knocks to be concerned about? It actually wasn't the whole England squad out training today. Uh, Marcus Rashford missed training, having picked up a slight knock in England's final training session in the UK before they flew here. Um, it's, that's a shame because Rashford obviously scored a fantastic goal against Costa Rica at Elland Road and that was really one of the few decision selections um, sorry, selection decisions that Southgate had to make going into that opening game in Volgograd I mean, it, if, it, you know, if, it, if Rashford had any chance of supplanting Raheem Sterling in the starting eleven, he certainly doesn't if he's carrying a knock so I think we can safely say that Sterling will be starting up front alongside Harry Kane against Tunisia and what would you say are the main selection issues? You know, if we're talking about, uh, you know, who, who might get picked where, the injury things, the just general selection issues ahead of the Tunisia game. So there's really just two selection decisions left for Southgate. One is between Eric Dyer and Jordan Henderson holding midfield, and it looks like it's going to be Jordan Henderson who gets the nod, England's vice captain. The other, which I think is more of a fifty-fifty, is Ashley Young and Danny Rose at left wing back. Initially, Southgate took Rose with the hope that he would get fit enough in the two friendlies to be able to start against Tunisia, having only started nine Premier League games for Tottenham this season. But, I mean, based on the friendlies so far, you have to say that Young looks slightly sharper than Rose. And that means that it, it would have to be a bit of a comp, it would be a bit of a punt, really, from Southgate if he's to pick Danny Rose in Volgograd on Monday night. 
That said, I do think, personally, I think that England could do with Rose out there just because, you know, Young isn't really as quick and he's a right footer, which means he always comes inside and England perhaps lack a little bit of width if they play with Young instead of Rose. So that's really the only big decision that Southgate's got going into the game. Um, But I did think the mood today was positive, relaxed, the same as it's been for a few weeks now with England, although... As we know in a tournament, as soon as it starts, you know, things can go very wrong very quickly. OK, thank you, Jack. We'll talk to you again uh, tomorrow, I guess. Um, tomorrow night, it will be uh, me and Critch here in Moscow. We will have been at Egypt versus Saudi Arabia. Uh, oh, no, no, Russia are playing no, Saudi Russia, Arabia. Saudi Arabia. That's where we are. Russia, Saudi Arabia. That's exactly the country we're in. We're in. Um, We'll be talking Russia, Saudi Arabia. We'll be talking the opening ceremony. Miguel will be in Sochi for Spain, Portugal. Miguel, are you going to call in tomorrow night? Um. <laughs> probably, probably not. Uh, so, well, you know. <laughs> Miguel sounds like he's going to be too busy. Uh, <laughs> but we've got two press conferences tomorrow night. One um, is Fernando Hierro speaking, and the other one is Lopetegui, probably been announced as a Real Madrid manager, so you'll be very busy. We have so much good stuff on the website, I implore you, urge you, and and quite possibly beg you to go and check it out. Uh, A 50-page supplement, if you subscribe to the Independent app, um, which is, for those who who like newspapers in their traditional form, that's what it is. It's just... uh, Lots of our stuff presented in, in a newspaper format. You swipe through it uh, on your iPhone, iPad, uh, Google Nexus device, whatever uh, electronic thing you hold in your hand these days. And uh, yeah, so there's so much to be getting stuck into. And um, if you could see the list of stuff that's coming out over the next few days, uh, I can promise you there's a load more. So thank you for joining us again uh, for the daily edition uh, of the independent football podcast uh we will be back tomorrow please tell your friends subscribe rate and review and until then what's goodbye in russian dasvidanya When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.